Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. There are no limits to a mother's love or the lengths she'll go to provide a safe, loving environment for her children. Roz Gold Keith is an amazing woman, a lifelong learner and believer in community. But first and foremost, she's a mother. When her son told her he was transgender in 2013, she's the first to admit she was clueless, but that didn't last for long. She began a journey of support, education, and advocacy not just for her son, but for other transgender youth and their families she met along the way. Roz has embraced the opportunity to be an ally and supporter of the LGBTQ community. She's the founder and executive director of Stand With Trans. Founded in 2015, Stand With Trans is here for trans youth and their families. The organization's intention is to be a resource, a source of support, a safe place, and a non-judgmental, all-inclusive organization. Now an empty nester, Roz continues her advocacy for transgender youth and their families through Stand For Trans. The mission remains the same, although their ways of interacting with youth and families have changed as it has taken on a virtual platform. They continue to provide education, advocacy, mentorship, scholarship, empowerment, and support to transgender youth and their families. Roz, Welcome back to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? You know, how are you doing? And how's your family? How's Hunter? Oh, my gosh, you're so sweet. Um, you know yeah. what? Um, we, well, so my family is good. Um, I have a daughter who mm-hmm. um, is graduated from Michigan State, uh, is engaged, is living in Florida. Um, They were supposed to get married in June, but due to COVID, we had to postpone. So that was a big disappointment. Um, And we're keeping our fingers crossed for 2021 um, because she wants her wedding and she doesn't want to make any changes um, based on, you know, restrictions, COVID restrictions. So they're waiting. Um, And my 
son, Hunter, is doing great, just finished um, his semester. He's studying psychology and social work, and um, he, um, I, can brow, I can brag, proud mama moment, he got a 4.0 this semester, so um, really happy with, you know, and all, this was all virtual, and some of the classes were asynchronous. So it's really hard to um, maintain a level of interest, I think, for any of the students who are going to school virtually, um, you know, to be engaged. And then when you're, you know, at college-level courses and you have almost no interaction with the professor because there isn't an actual class time, it's, you know, that's not really the best way to learn. So... Um, I give all of these kids credit who have hung in there over the past year, um, regardless of, you know, what kind of school they're, they're in and, you know, what level of their education, because um, it has not been easy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fortunately, I don't have little ones at home who need my attention with their online schooling. So I'm glad to be past that stage. Um, but, you know, otherwise we're all, we're just... You know, we're just following the rules. We're wearing our masks. We're social distancing, um, and it's pretty isolating. Mhm, mhm. You know, it's funny that Sandwich Trans came out of your family. You know, and yeah. you wanting to be right, be okay with your family. And here, as we're going through the craziest of times, for your family is dealing with everything every family is dealing with. But as a, I forget what that show was, it was like, the kids are all right. You know, your daughter yeah. graduated. She's getting married. You know, Hunter is doing okay with school. I mean, when you look back at this journey, do you sometimes, like, pinch yourself or is it like, you know, yeah, this is how it's supposed to be? Well, yeah, look, you know, as parents, we all want our kids to be happy and healthy and to find their place in the world and to find love, hopefully, and, you know, to be productive. And um, you don't know how things are going to turn out. And, you know, of course, there are always struggles. Um, We had lots of hurdles along the way after Hunter came out as transgender. And I think that, you know, it's real easy to forget the difficult times when things are going well in the moment. Um, You know, he's in a a good place and he's found his path and um, he's, you know, living as a young man. Um, But I know people say this about childbirth. It's like you forget the pain of childbirth (laughs) as soon as you see that beautiful baby and then you're like, oh, let's do this again. Um, You know, so I think, especially with the work that I do in Stand With Trans and helping other families and talking to other parents, I do have to remind myself that, you know, it was not all a bed of roses. And it helps me be, I think, a better um, advocate and a better peer support when I can think back to my own experiences and, um, you know, be more empathetic, perhaps. Mm-hmm. 
because parents do need to, they need you to meet them where they are at the moment. Um, and, and they're not always all the way to where I am or to, you know, where somebody else might be in their journey. So um, it can be, it's tricky. You know, you have to find um, that connection if you're going to work with other people and guide them and, and help them through the rough times. Now, you know, part of the hunter's journey was not only being able to live authentically, but to be visible, like in school. And, and we watched how, you know, he got into his life, and there was that visibility yeah. not only for himself, but to help others. Now, you know, we've all had to sort of like go back into home and be living virtually how is it sort of like a huge step forward, but then like a step backwards to not be able to be out in the world just being himself, not only for him but for a lot of other trans kids? Well, you know, I, I don't know that, you know, he ever intended, even when we agreed to tell our story publicly, um, I don't know that he ever intended to be, you know, the poster child. Um, and it was almost a forced visibility because we were part of this tight knit community with where the kids were going to school and their, you know, their social interactions, their peer interactions. So it was really hard to not be out and visible about who he is. But once he um, started, um, you know, with his part-time job sort of later in high school and then going off to college, and now he has a different job, um, you know, he really can choose um, who he shares his um, private stuff with. You know, um, and so I think that, that, you know, that's good because for most people, you don't want to have, you don't want to be, you know, the gay kid or the trans kid or, you know, the black kid or, you know, you're known for so many other things. You don't want to have a label on you before you even enter the room. And so um, it's been really important to him that it's on his terms so when he did start college you know he wasn't living on the LGBT floor and um, he didn't want to you know he, he told people when he felt it was comfortable and appropriate to share that he also happens to be transgender but um, you know I, I think for most people um, once they've gotten to a certain point in their transition, they just want to be their human self, you mm-hmm. know, um, however it is that they identify. So, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm the one who's definitely out and more visible in the community than he is at this point. How do you see, you know, remembering back in those, early days when you were like, you know, you were the mama bear. I mean, you know, like you were not <laughs> protecting your son and you were doing it. How has 
and to find the resources, because I remember you telling me, you know, like, to find the resources, it was a struggle, yeah. and then to build that. How do you see it has changed just in general? I mean, we still know that we have a lot of transgender people who are being attacked and have been murdered, but that visibility that, you know, like in the media and everything, how has that changed for you and the work that you do? Yeah, great question. Well, the good news is that a lot has changed. There are more providers, um, more doctors who are specializing in transgender medicine, who have the knowledge and the skills to prescribe hormones. There are more mental health professionals who are getting trained and focusing specifically on working with trans folks. Um, And and those also, you know, who are working with trans adolescents, because that's a whole different story than if it's um, an adult who's transitioning. Um, and the conversation, of course, is happening all over the place. Um, so it's, you know, when we started seven and a half years ago, there was no conversation. There were no resources. Um, nobody was doing anything, at least around here, for minors. Um, so it, it's, it's changed a lot. We still have a way to go. We have a, a long way to go in terms of our laws and school um, policy. Um, but we are moving forward, and that's a, a good thing um, for many reasons. And in particular, so many more youth are coming out. Um, more people are coming out as non-binary. Um, not mm-hmm. just in a binary um, trans way from female to male or male to female, but they're coming out and saying, you know, I'm, I'm non-binary, I'm a non-binary trans masculine person. Um, you know, Merriam Webster um, had has acknowledged using they as a singular pronoun. So, um, you know, it's, it, the change has been significant and, and I'm thrilled. And like I said, there was no conversation nearly eight years ago. Um, language has changed. That's, that's really interesting that the language that we use has evolved and some of the phrasing that was perhaps acceptable and used when my son first came out isn't even used anymore. Um, mm-hmm. He said, I think, you know, I think I have gender identity disorder. That isn't even a thing. That's not even you know, in the DSM, DS, gender identity, um, it's not a disorder. So mm-hmm. you can have gender dysphoria, um, but being transgender is not a disorder. So, so a lot of the language has changed, um, and new words have come into play. Um, new um, gender identities have been um, introduced as more people come out. So it's really fascinating. Well, you know, in some ways, like what I think is so amazing and really great about it is like it has like blown it all apart, that we have these young people who are coming up and they're non-binary, they're saying use use they. I mean, and Mm -hmm. it has changed not only society as a whole to where, you know, I see straight people and in businesses where, 
they recognize, oh, well, we should put pronouns. But even in the LGBTQ community where, you know, like they're wrestling with, you know, they want to be they or that you don't have to be mm-hmm. gay or lesbian. And if not, you know, to recognize that someone can be themselves. And, you know, right. are you seeing that a lot? So I'm not sure I understand the question. Um, I mean, do you see that shift happening not only in because, more so because of these young people, I mean, you know, who are recognizing that they are themselves. They are, mm-hmm. are claiming they're not being put in that boy-girl box at an earlier age right. and making society change. Are you seeing that? And some ways, the young people are really like sort of driving the future. Do you see that? Uh, I mean, the young people today are definitely, they're they're our future. And Mm -hmm. um, the good news is that because the, like my son's generation, you know, they're so much more accepting and they don't really bat an eye if someone um, says, you know, I use they, them pronouns or I'm gender fluid or um, I use they and he pronouns. You know, they just as a whole seem to be much more accepting. They don't really... um, discriminate in that way. Um, Unfortunately, it doesn't mean that it isn't happening and that, you know, kids are still getting bullied. They're still Mm -hmm. struggling depending on where they live and the type of community. Um, You know, it's not always safe for them to come out. But as a whole, you know, this generation, um, millennials, I guess, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Or you know, they are really just so much more open-minded. They're open to possibilities. Um, I know lots of kids that Hunter went to elementary and high school with who are now coming out as either um, gay or lesbian or trans or non-binary Um, so if I'm seeing that in my little part of the world, you know, it's happening everywhere and they're not all of a sudden coming out because it's trendy. They're coming out because the conversation is possible because they feel now comfortable enough to explore who they are and to be visible and to just own it. So it's really, it's a beautiful thing when they can just declare, you know, this is how I identify or this is who I'm attracted to um, and just move on, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a great meme that says something like, um, you know, if you're against gay marriage, then don't marry someone who's gay. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like live and let live. It doesn't, because somebody else identifies a certain way, has no bearing on your life or your rights. Um, so, 
Yeah, I, I think that the, you know, the the kids now are going to change our culture in profound ways. Mm-hmm. Now you've got, as they say, a lot of skin in the game now. But when you get, yeah. are you are you still getting that first question, like what you did back in the day? but now you have this experience to listen and to sort of get it. But do you still get that question from that mom or dad to where you're that first person that they're talking to, like, my child just came to me and said that they're gender fluid and they're freaking out. And what's your conversation (laughs) with them different now from like where before it's like, you know, it's more like, do you just sort of listen? Do you say, take a breath, and let me tell you about this voyage? Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's we do get a lot of um, newbies, a lot of parents coming to the group who just found out two weeks prior that their child identified in some way other than cisgender. And, and that's pretty cool because a few years ago, you know, there was no group, there was nowhere. I mean, we didn't have anywhere to go. We found out. So um, that in and of itself is, is fantastic. Um, And it's, you know, it's not so much about telling them about the journey because each one is going to be so unique, but it's letting them know that whatever they're feeling is okay. Um, but that, you know, they, you know, a lot of parents are feeling sad and they feel the sense of loss and they're, they, you know, it's affecting family dynamics or it's affecting the spousal relationship. And so, um, we try to encourage parents to come to the group, um, you know, use that as their space to, confide or cry or, you know, show their emotions, but to not let their kids see or be aware that they're feeling this way. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's okay, like, you know, for us, um, you know, there were moments where I just felt particularly sad and, you know, and I would just, if I, when Hunter questioned me, I would just say, you know, it's okay, you know, it's, it's okay for me to feel sad in this moment, but it, you know, it doesn't mean that I don't support you and, and love you. But if they, if they feel like every single day they're faced with their parents being unhappy and sad and stressed about this declaration, then the kids feel guilty and they feel like they shouldn't have come out or that they're going to, change their mind because they don't want their parents to be upset. Um, and all the kids want is for their parents to love them and to support them. That's it, you know, and they're afraid often that if they do come out, they're not going to get either one of those things. So it's a really interesting balancing act, um, you know, between guiding and advising the parents and you know, manage what they're feeling versus how they can help their child. Um, so, um, you know, it, that's often difficult, especially when parents are new to the process. 
You know, uh, one of the things I always like in hearing you talk is about is your love. I mean, you're a mom. You love your children, your daughter and your son. After you have one of these conversations, does Hunter ever go by and you just sort of grab him and give a great big hug and say, (laughs) and he goes, what's that for? And you go like, nothing. (laughs) I'm not crying. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're really close. Um, He um, has an apartment near campus, so he's not living here per se now, but we see him all the time. He calls me multiple times. I mean, yesterday, I think he called me four times. Um, He probably Mm. wouldn't want the world to know that, but yeah, he calls me all the time. We're very close. We like spending time together. Um, And, you know, he has said to people that the one thing that really helped was when he came out, um, you know, my reaction was, okay, you know, that it was just like, I mean, inside I was going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. But, you know, I I didn't freak out and I just said, okay, you know, we'll figure this out. And I just kept saying that day after day, we'll figure it out. And that's what he needed. And I think that's, you know, for the most part, that's what our children need when they're in crisis mode. You know, they need to know that you've got their back and that you're not going to fall apart. You know, they need you to just be the parent and show them your love and love them unconditionally and, you know, put, get them, help them get on the right path. So, you know. You know, and, and then <laughs> oh, yeah, and then as they grow up, you know, and like you said, how he calls you and he recognizes that. But there's that way where it's like that's good for you, you know that that you love him, and you know you're and I, you know, my son just recently became a parent, and I said, now you know, you know, I'm gonna love you no matter what. I'm going to love you, mm-hmm. and now he recognizes yeah. that, and you know, but you trust still. I mean, you have that bond, and you're so close, and it just it seems to be strengthening each and every year. Not because he's trans, but because you love each other. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I've said to my daughter, too, um, Mm -hmm. you know, she'll always say, oh, I love you so much, Mama. And I said, you will never know how much I love you until you're a parent, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think a lot of, you know, parents will say, well, I love you more or, you know, but, but your kids can never understand that until they have their own, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, that's why I work so hard to make sure that, you know, the kids get what they need and that parents really understand that it's not a choice, you know? Um, you know, the choice is what kind of parent are you going to be? It's not a choice about, you know, are they trans or are they not trans? They can't, they didn't choose that. And, um, you know, you just have to love them unconditionally. And, and truly, I mean, I, you know, didn't care what the sex of the baby was before my kids were born. And um, people would say, do you know what you're having? And they'd say, yes, yeah, a baby. And I, so, you know, and I truly felt that way. So mm-hmm. I think sometimes, you know, parents get really 
um, overly hung up on the sex of the baby as they grow. So then when they come out, you have so much invested in your hopes and dreams for that child for the future as you see them as a a girl growing into a woman or as a boy growing into a man. And um, it, it kind of takes away from the person this child is becoming. Oh, you know, I think that, and that's the the great thing um, about this work, which I, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about it, but I will share this with you that because of this work that we do and, and working with people like you and with many other people in all parts of the community and doing it, I felt really good that when they found out that they were pregnant, my son mm-hmm. and his partner, they said, you know, we hope you don't mind, but we're not going to find out the gender. And they referred to their baby. They used they and them. And I was uh-huh. just like, I was just like, that's wow. pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, really. And, you know, and it also, it also made me so hopeful in this age of, you know, gender reveals that mm-hmm. there are going to be more and more young parents who are going to recognize that what was important was about having a healthy child and yeah. who would be able to, to do that. And, you know, it's because of this work. But we're going to take a quick uh, break, and then I want to talk more about the work that you do. So we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I'm talking with Roz Gold-Keith. Now, Roz, the work of Stand with Trans has changed. Do you, okay, how do you see Stand with Trans, where it is now, and are there, is there a more national movement, you know, not that there are, you know, similar organizations across the country that are addressing some of the issues that stand with trans, what you hope to see from the beginning. Yeah. So there are definitely other organizations in different areas of the country who are doing similar work. There aren't many of us. Um, And there are really very few who are singularly focused on trans youth versus all LGBT youth um, and having to move everything that we're doing and that we've been doing this past year to a virtual format has also given us 
a national platform because we're able to host people from all over the country. We've even had youth from other countries attend some of our programs this year where they would, you know, for sure not be able to attend an in-person program in the Metro Detroit area. So um, it's expanded our, it's allowed us to expand our reach and to um, just, you know, reach people from not just, you know, a bigger audience, but a more geographically diverse audience. Mm-hmm. Do you find, you know, because you still hear those arguments, particularly the science is there to where, um, because we had talked about things that would maybe delay puberty. And because some mm-hmm. of the things, you know, you hear is still people like, oh, you shouldn't be tampering with that. But the science is there. <laughs> There's ways that can help young people in their transition, but there's still a lot of pushback from that. Are you sure. finding that pushback, and, but at the same time, are you also finding more science and medical advantages that are coming out that are available, more readily available for trans kids and for parents as a resource? Yeah. Well, you know, of course it still depends on where you live because, um, if a, if a child is transgender and the family is going to seek medical support, um, they would most likely be seeing a pediatric endocrinologist. Some pediatricians may be um, trained in this area, but most likely you would go to a pediatric endocrinologist because endocrinologists deal with hormones. And... Um, what people don't understand and what's very scary when they don't know initially is that just because your child says, I'm transgender and I want to do this, this, and this, doesn't mean that you're going to go see an endocrinologist and be handed a prescription. You know, mm. it's, it's a process. And we talk about blockers. Most parents don't know what even what blockers are. And, and there, there's definitely... Um, a movement, uh, the UK just passed um, a law that says that children under 16 can't receive hormone blockers, which is ridiculous. Um, Mm -hmm. All blockers do is pause puberty. So it gives a child a chance to, it kind of buys you time. So this way they don't go into the wrong puberty and decisions can be made and it can be determined if the child is, has been consistent, insistent and persistent with their gender identity. Um, so once they go off the blockers, the body naturally will continue to do, um, you know, if, if the child was assigned male at birth, they will go into male puberty unless of course, the testosterone is blocked and they're given female cross-sex hormones. But um, I think most of the objections are because people don't truly understand what has happened in utero, what being transgender really means, and then what the hormones are going to do or not do. So, you know, the unknown is always scary. So we just try our best to educate people. And we feel like the more 
people we can educate, the more parents we can talk to, the more support the kids will have. Do you find like, you know, I see like it's almost like a three-pronged education, like the, the medical profession, because often you'll have doctors who will say, oh, well, you shouldn't give them that, who are against, even though they're out there. Right. Then you have right. the legal profession, you know, to support either the family or the parents, but then there's also politics, which is, mm. are, you hit, are you hitting all three areas at the same time, or do you, because trans, stand with trans, focus more on one area than the other? Well, you know, we do some advocacy. As a 501c3, we can't endorse a particular candidate, but we can certainly advocate for policies. We can promote equality voting. We can, um, you know, make sure that we're on top of pending legislation and um, help to work towards um, non-discrimination ordinances and laws that will protect the community. Um, so, you know, we get involved in some of those activities, but that's not our core focus. Um, you could spend all of your time, you know, as an advocacy organization, but we, um, our focus is really to find ways to support transgender youth and their families so the kids are ultimately thriving and um, that they have, you know, that their self-esteem and their, their self-worth is validated. Um, so it's really about this life-saving work and how do we do that by educating um, families, bringing community together, showing youth that we really are there for them. Um, perfect example, one of the issues very prominently in 2020, you know, is the isolation that kids are feeling because they're stuck at home and they're not with their peers. And if for a trans kid who is, maybe not supported at home or they're not even out at home, you know, nobody is using their name. Nobody is using the pronouns that they feel fit them. So they just want to hear someone call them by their name, someone use their pronouns. Mm -hmm. And we did a, um, a campaign on TikTok where we invited youth to message us with their name, and we did a whole week of shout-outs. So mm. just saying their names and saying hello to them, and they loved it, you know, and that's so simple. But when you think about, you know, kids, these youth being isolated at home and families are not seeing them, they're not, they're not calling them by their name or saying, oh, well, you'll always be my daughter. I will never call you anything else. You'll always be a girl, you know, um, that really diminishes somebody's self-worth and invalidates who they are as a human being. You know, media and particularly social media, I mean, we have so many role models, so many things that you're seeing. There are programs, there are 
you know, where, and young people who are going on and doing things. I talked to Sid Ballou, who not only helped um, pose but is writing for um, the HBO Max program, who is in the ballroom scene and talks about his, his transition and coming out. And, they, and you have Ellen Page. I mean, you have all these people in these media representations. I mean, when you think back to when you started and you, and you were looking for them, you know, here it is, and they're not just like the trans stereotype image. It's just like all of these young people who are doing these things, and they just happen to be, you know, non-binary, gender fluid. The, mm-hmm. And they're, often they're not identifying them saying, well, this is a trans character. This is just like this kid who happens to be. And you're talking about how these kids who are stuck at home now, how helpful is that to them to see all of these these images of people who they can relate to and maybe even a show that their parents are watching who knows, like, they aren't, you know, something horrible that they can go on and become all of this. How important is this media, that the images that we're seeing now? Yeah, um, so important. Uh, okay. You know, it um, it lets people know that they're just like everybody else. You know that these celebrities and these well-known figures um, also um, are coming out, and if they can be out, you know, well, so can I. And um, you know, even if a well-known parent. Um, has a child who comes out and that parent is very vocal about supporting their child. That's huge. You know, that, that message then can resonate with other parents. Um, it's very impactful. Um, I know the most recent was um, Elliot Page. And, mm-hmm. you know, I asked my son what he thought. And he said, well, really, you know, one of the impacts of his coming out is that he's probably the first trans male um, celebrities, like, you know, mainstream celebrities that has come out in years. You know, you've heard of, you know, the trans women um, coming out and, um, but you haven't heard so much about the guys. And so this was a big deal in his mind to see this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it makes a difference. It really does. And um, then when it gets positive press and everybody's talking about it, um, yeah, it's a big deal. You know, I thought it was also, you know, those are good, but I thought it was good that they showed that Cher came out and said, you know what, I didn't handle oh, that well. Yeah. But then to talk about where their relationship is now, because sometimes, you know, we say things and it's like, well, how can I go back now and let my kid know that I'm there to sort of say, you know what, it's not, there's no perfect, sometimes you're going to screw up, you know. But there's a way to, right. to do that, to have that acknowledgement of that. 
Yeah. Right. Is that one of, uh, you know, the resources also in the conversation? You know, you have support groups that, that you help parents find their way back to their child, to that part where it's like where they, that acceptance, you know, like, well, my child's going to be trans, so I'm, I'm just trying to work with it. But to come back to that, your child. Yeah. Well, for the most part, if they're coming to our groups, there's already some level or willingness to support. You know, it may not be the best relationship or maybe there, you know, are some conflicts and, and challenges going on within the family. But if they're at the meeting, then it's likely they're at least open. And so it's really great when we can offer um, suggestions. And many times the suggestions come from other parents in the group. Um, you know, I don't have the, all the answers. I have my mm-hmm. lived experience with my son. But when we have a group of parents together and they all have different experiences, then they're able to share ideas and suggestions with a parent who might be struggling because they have a different perspective or they've had a different experience. So it's really the power of the community and, um, you know, helping them work through whatever that situation is. And it, and it varies, you know, it might be, you know, the parent child relationship is rocky at the moment and the parent is, you know, pushing for more and the child is kind of holding back. Um, Or it might be because the child came out, the two spouses are not on the same page and there's conflict there. So, um, you know, there's extended family or, you know, grandma doesn't approve and then, you know, the parent has to manage their own parents' belief system. And so, you know, family's complicated. I'm sure you know uh-huh. that. <laughs> you know, it's, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Wow. So, now, I notice that, you know, that you have all different support groups. What is your primary, you know, if you said, what is the most important thing, work that Stand With Trans does? I know, you know, you have advocacy, you know, you, do, you have support, but what do you feel is the most important thing that Stand With Trans would do? If you had to pair back and say, I can let everything else go, particularly now, with this, you know, where you can't meet in person, you can't be out there, what's the most important thing that you feel needs to be pushed to keep going to make sure it's always accessible? Yeah. Well, uh, that's a great question. Um, I'd love to say, you know, everything we're doing is so critical. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but I know that many kids, I mean, my son said it several years ago, and many kids said, you know, I just don't know anyone like me. And so by giving them an opportunity to, you know, have some social experience or support experience or an educational opportunity, whatever that opportunity is for them where they can be with other trans and non-binary kids, that's so critical. So it's not so much the vehicle as what the outcome is because you know we're showing them that they are not alone that it's okay that they identify however they identify and that you know there are other kids just like them and so that's really 
the most important part of our work um, is, you know, those outcomes and, um, you know, kids sending us messages and saying this was life-saving and thank you for what you're doing. Now, do you talk to school systems? I mean, you know, because we know that we're hoping to do a, a reset on schools and schools need to be often, this is where you're with your friend, you need teachers and educators to understand what is your interaction with the school system? What have you seen, the progresses, and what are you looking forward to moving back as we determine what education is going to look like? Well, you know, we um, there was just a, a big um, ruling in the Plymouth Canton School District, uh, school district about um, – the, the rights of students and what the, what the school can um, know and perhaps not share with parents and what students have access to regarding sports teams that they can play on and bathrooms and so on. Um, and that's really, you know, how every district should be everywhere. Um, so I think that you know, there is more work to do in that arena. Um, we'd love to be doing more teacher training because it's not just the schools, but it's making the classrooms inclusive. It's teachers understanding how impactful language is. That, you know, if you, you know, tell third graders, okay, boys over here and girls over here, and you have a child that even at that young age, is thinking, okay, I'm not a boy and I'm not a girl. They don't know where to line up. Mm-hmm. And they, they, it automatically others them, and they feel like a fish out of water, that they don't belong. And so um, the more we can teach schools and teachers how to have inclusive classrooms, how to use language in ways that are more inclusive, um, that is some of the work that has to be done within our um, within our schools today. And you know, and it does go back that early because as we have younger parents who aren't immediately trying to put their child into a blue or pink box, who are letting their kids be themselves. You know that anybody mm-hmm. they can play with dolls, they can play with tanks. It doesn't matter. You know. Right. And then they're starting to go to school, and when you get into school, you've got the little boys' room, has the little girls' room. So, I mean, it's like there has to be a way. Many people would say that, oh, it doesn't need to be that early, but like what you're saying is that education, that thought process does have to start that early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it absolutely does need to start early. And, um, you know, I saw something recently where someone, you know, again, I think it was another meme where they said, you know, this is what happens when you let your sons play with dolls. And it was, you know, several messages about, you know, they'll learn how to be a really great dad. Um, they'll, you know, they might be a pediatrician. They, will learn compassion, you know, and so on. So um, they should play with what they're interested in. 
And mm-hmm. um, I mean, for us, there there wasn't too much of the, you know, this is the boy toy and this is the girl toy. Um, they each had different interests. And, and I think that's the other thing, too, that parents are afraid of, that they're going to lose their child or their child's going to change in some way, that they're going to, you know, inherently who they are as a human being is going to be very different. And, you know, I've said about my son that he's just a better version of himself. All of the things that he was interested in when he was little are still kind of the same things that he's interested in now. So he didn't, you know, it's not like he played with all these girl toys and now that he's a guy, you know, he has these interests. You know, it's like, yeah, no, he, um, it, you know, he, he has most of the same interests that he always had. So um, we just need to let our children figure out who they are. Um, and if you force them into a box, um, even just look, you know, so basic um, career paths where you have somebody that is only going to medical school because they have three generations of doctors in their family and it's expected, you know, mm-hmm. or to be a lawyer, or to be an engineer, or, you know, whatever those family expectations are. And sometimes it's a great fit, but sometimes it's not. And sometimes, you know, you don't pursue something because parents don't feel it's the right thing for you to do. Mm-hmm. And um, again, this is about our kids' dreams, right? Not about our dreams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take our second break here, and okay, we'll be right back. <laughs> okay. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm talking with Roz Paul Keith. You know, these times, I mean, has been hard on everyone. I know many community organizations across the organ of the country who are working with diverse communities on different causes. I mean, they've had to shut their doors. I mean, uh, contributions, you know, it's one thing when you see you have an activity and someone is here, and then you go like, oh, let me write a check for it. How has this pandemic affected stand for trans? And how are you pivoting? How are we pivoting? Well, we did a lot of pivoting back in the spring. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, where, when everything just shut down mid-March, um, you know, we were 
for sure, like deer in the headlights because we didn't know how we were going to have our meetings and how we were going to put on our programs. And we do this big annual trans empowerment workshop every year. And how are we going to do that? And nobody knew um, what the future was going to hold, you know, back in March, April, we didn't know what the fall was going to be like. So we um, made it a, a point to shift everything that we were doing to online access. And it worked really well for us. And um, we had some social opportunities for youth online. We um, moved support groups. So there was regular access monthly for parents and youth. Um, and we also we did something really big. We moved, we changed our one-day empowerment workshop to an entire month of education and content. So in October, rather than having one day that people would come to in person in Metro Detroit, we had um, a month-long trans empowerment um, event, if you will. And we had 39 sessions over the course of a month with 50 facilitators. And we had 700 people registered. Um, We had speakers from all over the country um, we had surgeons talking about gender confirmation procedures. We had therapists. We had, you know, sessions on non-binary, on intersex, on um, the law. Um, we had story time. We had young authors read their books. Um, it was just really incredible. Our keynote was. Michigan's Teacher of the Year, who happens to be a transgender man, Owen Bandano, and he was just phenomenal. He talked about being a model of possibility for his students, and um, so that was that was really huge. We had kids from several different countries who attended. We had parents from all over the country, um, and it was just a completely different way of delivering this content. It was a different experience. You know, it wasn't the community where you come to a a venue for the day and you can have social time and really connect. So that was very different, but we were still able to educate people and engage with the youth. And um, it it was a win-win all the way around. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it worked well. Do you see aspects of that, you know, that you'll continue to do even when we're able to come together as a community? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, we know at least the first half of the year will all be virtual, and so we don't know exactly when we'll be able to um, add back in-person programming, but we will maintain, when we get to that point, we'll definitely maintain some hybrid of the two because you know, nothing like the in-person, but also um, the online access gives people from everywhere the opportunity to um, get content, get educated, find resources. You know, I mean, just being able to hear from surgeons that you wouldn't necessarily be able to pick up the phone and say, hey, I, you know, I want to talk to Dr. So-and-so, but here they were, and you could ask questions. So, um, it's people, um, you know, I think people are sick of, of being online, but we did it in short, 
little chunks, you know, it was like an hour a day, or maybe there were two sessions in one evening, but it wasn't sitting all day long in front of a computer. So it was very manageable. So we um, hope we'll be able to do it again. Now, I know that you have parent support. I know you, I love that you have tween support groups. Yeah. You have <laughs> support groups. How many support groups are you running? I mean, it's like it's such a well, large Yeah. We, we had uh, more than a dozen in-person groups, but now that it's virtual, we have monthly. We have, um, I think, three youth groups monthly. We have the tween group, which we just started, is once a month right now. We have a non-binary young adult group, which is once a month. Um, the parent group is three times. There's three different groups. Um, we're going to be starting, and, and it'll be virtual, so it almost doesn't matter that it's um, in the UP, um, but we will be starting a group up there. So when we can um, transition back to in-person, there will be a group up in um, Northern Michigan for parents and hopefully for youth. Um, and so... Um, you know, we're just, we're always reevaluating because um, the model may work for a while and then you have to figure out, well, how do we now in this situation make this work and give people access? And um, so, you know, I hope when we can go back to in-person that we'll be able to do this work and reach more people and, you know, I mean, thank God we have the technology right now um, because I don't know how we would do this otherwise, but, you know, it's nice to see people face-to-face and it's nice to be able to have those touch points, which everybody's really missing right now. Uh, I know, you know, you've been doing this, but I'm sure that as you, you got to this point and it's like March, everything's shutting down, who did you draw upon for counsel as to how to make this pivot? Were the young people involved? Were the parents who said, this, is, this, this will work with us? This is a, a way to use it. Yeah. Um, gosh. I think we just, you know, it was sort of an organic conversation. It's not even that we had to seek out experts. Um, we have a fantastic program manager, um, and they're very resourceful. And, um, you know, between all of us, we just started thinking about how do we do this? You know, um, I don't know when I first used Zoom. Of course, now, you know, it's like second nature. But, you know, we just, you know, it, it was like we just started having the conversations. Well, okay, we can't meet in person. What are we going to do? Are we going to just stop doing what we do? Or do we find new ways to do it and, and, and offer, um, you know, first we had to make an announcement that all the groups, that the groups were shut down, that we couldn't do anything in person, which um, is always difficult. You don't want to have to take things away from people, but then, you know, little by little, we were able to offer the Zoom opportunities and 
Um, you know, we got Zoom bombed early on, um, right before people were talking about that, and I didn't know what was happening. And there were, we had, you know, a, a group that was <laughs> infiltrated by um, some very nasty, negative, um, vulgar um, comments and voices, and I just I had to shut the the meeting down and then send. Um, the small group who were on call a new link, um, and that's when we stopped publicizing the link. You have to actually register okay. to get the link um, privately because people were just, you know, doing some very yeah. nasty, unkind things. But yeah, so I, it just, you know, we just had to be innovative. We knew that we had to keep keep going, and. Um, so, you know, we were able to apply for a PPP loan, which we got and has been forgiven. Um, oh, wonderful. Got some, yeah. Um, we, uh, yeah, we were very fortunate in terms of the financial support that we got and, you know, the ability to raise money throughout the year. Um, and so... We're really excited for 2021. We're excited for, you know, new work, new programs, you know, new year, new vaccines, um, hopefully getting rid of masks at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, this has been your baby, birth from your baby. <laughs> yeah, really, you know. But sometimes as you sit back and, you know, particularly in this time when you know you're going, do you think about legacy and what, what would you want the legacy of Stand with Trans from being your baby to being this part of the community in the future? What do you think of, what would you like the legacy of Stand with Trans to be? Oh. That's a great question. Um, I have thought about that. And, um, yes, I founded the organization and, you know, worked for a couple of years just, you know, blood, sweat, and tears to get the organization going and um, to get where we are today. But for me, it's really about sustainability. You know, I... It would be our vision is to erase the stigma surrounding trans identities, and maybe someday we'll get there. I hope, but in the meantime, trans people are coming out every day, you know, every hour, every minute. Um, that's just growing, and so our needs, the needs in the community continue to be there and I want this organization to be around for as long as it needs to be around so that it's so much more than me um, you know I, I hope to not work forever <laughs> um, but I want you know I, I mean I want to know that we can pay our staff um, you know good wages and that we can keep good people and people who are passionate about what we do, who are part of the community, who um, feel the same way about the work, and 
and really, and again, just that sustainability to be around for years to come um, so we can support families and, and embrace the youth because they, you know, they need the love. And um, so that's, you know, that's the legacy. That's my wish is, um, you know, building this so there's, you know, this foundation and that it's a dynamic organization that people will want to continue to fund and continue to support um, because I know, I mean, the need is, is there and will continue to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't, I don't see it ever not being a need. It's like one yeah. of those resources, you know, how even when they talk about how under the bigger umbrella, say, oh, well, we're all American. Why do you need uh, an African-American, a Latino-American, an Irish-American? Yeah. Because there's something about, you know, being able to have a safe space or a space that holds your history, that, you know, holds your struggle, that holds your community special where you can go to. I think that there will right. always be that. And it seems like that's what you're building. Yeah, I mean, we, we certainly hope so. Um, mm-hmm. It takes a long time. And, mm-hmm. you know, as I've, as I've learned, you know, you, there's so many components of the organization, from, you know, the people you serve to the staff to your board, um, and those needs change on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. So you have to be willing to do things differently and to, it, it's a state of constant improvement is the way I look mm-hmm. at it. That yes, this program has worked really well for us, but what else can we do and what can we do to make it better and how can it be more effective and you know, how do we improve it? So mm-hmm. tall order. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So here we are, you know, we're going into a new year. 2021, what's your wish list? My wish list? My personal wish list or my wish list for <laughs> no, the organization? No, you might not have time for that. Your wish list, because, uh, I mean, I, we could go back and forth. But what's your wish list for Stand With Trans uh, and for our trans youth? Yeah, yeah. Well, I certainly hope that we can um, get everyone vaccinated um, put this pandemic behind us and allow youth to go back to school, to be with their friends, to learn in a more engaging, dynamic, interactive environment than sitting on Zoom school all day long. And for families to be able to come together um, to support their kids. Um, so, you know, that's kind of big picture youth and families. For Stand With Trans, like I said, we're just, um, we're going to continue to grow what we do to reach more people, to improve upon programming that have worked and perhaps to scrap things that haven't been working or find new ways to do them. Um, but, you know, we're, we're poised to grow We've had remarkable growth over the past three years, and you know now we're, you know, the full-time program manager on staff. 
Um, we will be um, providing education opportunities in a greater way, um, more resources to the community than we've ever had before, and um, looking to engage with new donors, um, big corporations, coming in and training their staff, um, teaching allyship. Um, you know, when I see an email from someone from a big company and they've got their pronouns in their signature, it makes me really happy. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, people don't realize like what a little thing that is that makes such a big difference. So I'm excited for the new year and um, we have a lot of work in front of us, a lot of planning, um, but it's exciting. We're, we're just, we're in a good place right now. That's great. What is the best way for people to find out more about stand with trans and to see if there's something that maybe they can bring to the table, even if it's like a speaking opportunity, an education opportunity, or those all important contributions. Yeah. So um, you can go to standwithtrans.org, all one word, um, standwithtrans.org forward slash donate. And um, we are on all, uh, we're on a variety of social media platforms, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Stand With Trans, and Instagram at Stand With Trans MI. And um, all of the other um, you know, phone numbers, emails are on the website, but um, we are always open to talking to potential volunteers. We are going to be recruiting for new board members um, in the new year. So if people have nonprofit experience and a passion for the transgender community and um, perhaps have some skill sets that would benefit the organization. We would love to talk to you. And, um, yeah, just, you know, we're, just Google Stand With Trans, you'll find us. We're, we're really mm-hmm. easy to find. Yeah. Well, Roz, I have to tell you, you know, especially as we're moving forward, and, you know, we're making progress, and we're seeing more women involved. One of the people who I often fight is why we need more women involved is you. Because, oh, you know, you're a, women, and particularly mothers, you're able to, to see a way and to be thinking not only about your own child, but then that compassion, that empathy, that caring about a community, about building a better community that's more inclusive. And mm-hmm. I want to applaud you for the work that you do. I think that it, it's amazing that, and it came from love. And it continues because of love that you have opened your heart to expand beyond taking care of your child, 
many people's children. And I thank you for that work. You know, you know, I support Stand With Trans. And I want you to keep doing what you're doing, but take care of you. Oh, you're so sweet. Yes, I managed to squeeze a little bit of that in from time to time. Um, and I really appreciate your kind words. Um, you know, it's important for women to support each other and to lift up each other's work. Um, there isn't enough of that. And um, so coming from you, that's very meaningful. And I really, really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and to share my work because, um, I, I, you know, it definitely is a passion of mine. Um, I always knew that I would be in some sort of helping profession, but it took me my entire career to get to this point. So it means a lot. Well, I want to thank you for this time. I look forward to seeing you, even if I hope distance in our mask in 2021. <laughs> and you know, best to you and your family. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. And have a happy new year. Okay. And I will talk to you real soon. Okay. Take care. I want to thank our guest, the founder and executive director of Stand With Trans, Roz Gold Keith. The global pandemic has crippled many nonprofits, but Stand With Trans is doubling down by dramatically expanding many of its programs. Its traditional one-day in-person event was expanded to the first-ever month-long virtual experience for trans youth and allies. With ally moms in nearly 50 states, Stand With Trans now offers all parents of transgender individuals the opportunity to apply to be love at the other end of the phone with its ally parents program. Stand With Trans continues to advocate, celebrate, and educate. You can learn more at their website, www.standwithtrans.org. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can support the podcast by becoming a sponsor of Collections by Michelle Brown on Patreon.com. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.